0: Hello and welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten, and today is Tuesday, May 11th. First, the news. Cindy Martin, superintendent of the San Diego Unified School District, will be the nation's next deputy education secretary. The U.S. Senate voted 54 to 44 on Tuesday to confirm Martin. She will not leave San Diego Unified immediately as she needs to be sworn in before officially taking the job. Scripps Health remained impacted by a ransomware attack Monday, the ninth straight day since the May 1st attack. The attack targeted electronic medical records and other systems leading to ambulance diversions and canceled procedures. Scripps says an internal investigation is ongoing. And finally, healthcare systems like UC San Diego, Sharp and Scripps are now turning down doses of COVID-19 vaccines, citing lack of demand. For the past 25 years in San Diego County, if you applied for welfare benefits, you'd also be subject to surprise home inspections. The program was called Project 100%, and the goal was to cut down on fraudulent claims. Opponents of Project 100% called it ineffective and humiliating, but the county continued to defend it until now. Greg Moran is a criminal justice reporter at the UT. Greg, let's talk about these searches. You wrote that they took place without warrants, without judge oversight, and with no evidence of wrongdoing. What would happen during a search?
1: Um, you know, a couple things. They had kind of a standard procedure. The investigator who, in the early years of this program, was an investigator with the district attorney's office in the fraud unit, would show up uh, unannounced uh, and uh, interview the applicant the person who was seeking uh, public benefits oftentimes asking them the same questions that the person had already answered during sort of an intake interview that they did with um you know eligibility workers uh, at the department of social services what was then the department of social services so it asked a few questions go over some things and then ask for permission to do what you know they called a walkthrough of the home or a home visit basically a search of the premises then they would uh, either uh, sometimes they would have the person show them you know where their closet is and uh, but a lot of times uh, the way it's described to me they would um, assemble the people who lived in the residence the uh, adult uh, and any children and and kind of keep them in the living room and then go through the entire house um, or the apartment Uh, and that included looking in everything and everywhere, drawers, closets, medicine chests, um, refrigerators, uh, drawers, uh, all kinds of things, uh, ostensibly looking for evidence or indicators that um, the person had lied on their application and therefore was committing some, some kind of benefits fraud.
0: Why was this program established to begin with? I mean, was there a lot of fraud going on at the time?
1: you know it's interesting there's kind of a national context and a local and the national context is is that this was uh, program started a year after the 1996 uh, welfare uh, reform bill that uh, bill bill clinton signed when he was president the, the welfare to work law which tried to reinvent or recalibrate uh, welfare <clears throat> into a uh, uh, you know less time period and and frankly more onerous experience. It had a work requirement, it lowered some of the benefits payments, and things like that. That in itself was sort of a product of really about 15 years or so of demonizing um, people who were receiving public benefits. Uh, Ronald Reagan's infamous welfare queen uh, trope uh, had really dominated the discussion over um, public benefits for many years. So after that national law passed locally here, there was a lot of concern about, oh, uh, there's a enormous amount of fraud in our um, welfare uh, uh, benefits programs um, at the time, really, and I was a reporter at the paper then. Um, you know, a lot of that was focused on, oh, there are a lot of illegal immigrants in, in who come over into the country, and they tap into our benefits, and, and that's a big fraudulent thing. So there's just a lot of foment over, well, okay, well, We'll, we'll provide welfare to people, but we're gonna—it's gonna be efficient. Uh, it, you know, we're gonna keep a level eye on it, and we're really gonna look out for fraud. The ironic thing is that, you know, really, the economy was doing quite well at that time uh, in America, and welfare fraud and, and welfare business had actually been declining for several years when the county put this program in in 1997 so it's kind of a reaction to sort of a, a generalized sense that the uh, that people were getting away with um, uh, things with with fraud uh, when it came to accessing public benefits not just welfare but uh, food stamps and medical and things like that um, and that this was a way to somehow um, you know stop that or or slow it
0: so advocates have been fighting this for the past 25 years, including the ACLU. What have been some of the main criticisms of Project 100%? You know,
1: there have been several, right? I mean, the obvious one is that it was a violation of your constitutional rights. It was an unwarranted search of your of your home without uh, you know, you have to remember that this was these were people who simply applied Um uh, for, for benefits and you know t- kind of th- th- there were sort of two channels of kind of briefly how that would happen is that you'd apply and if the the eligibility worker saw something that sort of obviously indicated you were you were uh, not being truthful. Um, on the application, some strong suspicion of fraud. They would also refer that to the fraud investigators. That that had been going on for years. That's sort of like, okay, we have a reason to believe this person is hiding something from us or isn't being truthful. Project 100 took that and then expanded it to anybody who applied. So so you had kind of two two baskets. One, you had people <coughs> who were being investigated because there was a reasonable suspicion or a probable cause that they were committing a fraud. And then there was everybody else for whom there was absolutely no indication on the application or anything that they had done that, that would give a reasonable, uh, or a probable cause that, that they were committing a crime. They also got this home visit search. So the, the criticisms were it was illegal, uh, And more than that, it was humiliating, that it was uh, demeaning to people uh, who were seeking help from, that they were legally entitled to, to be treated to a home search by a badge carrying uh, peace officer from the district attorney's office who literally went snooping through all of their material possessions, you know, uh, and and that it was both you know, objectionable in a humanistic kind of way, but mostly that it was not, it was legally unwarranted. And, and there were two lawsuits over the 24, 20 24, years that this program was in effect, um, both brought by the ACLU that sought to overturn it and, and both, uh, failed in the courts.
0: How often do they actually find fraud during one of these home searches?
1: Well, that, that's an interesting question. And that was one thing, uh, that uh, there was a, a report in 2014, so this is about 15, 16 years into the program, that the uh, uh, a public interest law firm uh, had put together um, critiquing the program. And, and one of the main findings of that was, for many years, the district attorney's office had been exaggerating the effectiveness of this program by saying that they had averaged about 25% every year of all the applications that came in, they had intercepted essentially uh, and found them to be fraudulent and therefore had saved the county several hundred thousands of dollars every year. This report um, looked at that, looked at the data behind that, took a very hard look at it, analyzed it and, and concluded that that had been uh, inflated, it had been exaggerated, that they were including uh, or or counting as, I guess, successes of project 100%, everything from people withdrawing an application for whatever reason, they moved, they didn't need the benefits anymore or whatever, um, to all, all, all other reasons why an application may be denied. Sometimes they were denied because you simply were not eligible. You know, you just didn't meet the criteria for the benefits. Um, for many years, the county, the district attorney's office, would count that sort of a thing as fraud detection and fraud prevention. So, <clears throat> when these uh, findings were presented to the county, they didn't dispute them. They took a look at the data too and, and, and acknowledged that they had been classifying things incorrectly. And they changed the data classification around. So, the most in the subsequent years, so the the closest I could find was, I think, two, three, four years ago, 2017 or 18. You know, the acknowledged kind of fraud prevention uh, number was down to 6%. So they, they contend that, you know, 6% of all the applications that that came into the county uh, were found because of Project 100% to be fraudulent. That amounts to you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars maybe per year, Um, it's far less than the cost of running the program, which annually averaged about 1.6 or 1.7 million dollars. So it was a cost ineffective program.
0: Why did the county defend it for so long and even try to expand it? You wrote in your story that I think between 2010 and 2015, they tried to bring it to the legislature. Um, It never passed. But I mean, why was this policy so important to the county?
1: You know, I think it was two things. One, it kind of fit in with what it, it during that whole period of time was sort of the county's approach to public benefits, which was to make them um, available but not easily accessible. And that this was, um, you know, I mean, the, the stated reason was they wanted to deter fraud or catch capture fraud. Um, you know, I think it had a, a, a larger effect of even deterring people from applying. You know, because they were told when they filled out the form, you know, yes, okay, all the forms filled out, now somebody's going to come and visit your home. Uh, And for a lot of people, for whatever reason, they don't want that to happen. So I think the county stuck by it because they thought it was a good policy, um, even though they were out there on their own. I mean, there's only one other county I know of that that tried to do this, Los Angeles County, for about eight or nine years, had a similar type of program, but they dropped it uh, in like 2008 or 2009 when they realized they were spending far more money than they than they might have been saving. Um, so, I mean, it fit in with kind of the, I think the county's approach, the, the county government's approach and and philosophy about um, public benefits for county residents. And I think after a while, it was just kind of running on automatic pilot. You know, it was just kind of in the background. You know, a million and a half, million six dollars per year for a program for a county with our size budget is like a rounding error. You know, it wasn't anything that was costing a lot of money. Um, it was really directed at people who, um, you know, the people were affected by this were who were people who, outside of kind of the ACLU and public interest law firms, don't have. You know, there's there's no you know, representative for the poor in, uh, in, uh, the, in government. So it was really kind of affecting people who are um, on the margins anyway. Uh, and uh, uh, they, they thought it was a, a good program to have.
0: So what has changed at the county level between then and now, you know, 25 years of defending this, I know we have some new members on the, the board of supervisors. Uh, but yeah, what what has changed in the thinking there? And, and what do you think it says for the future of, you know, benefits going forward?
1: Well, I think what changed was exactly what you said. Is the is the new members, as as you know, people know um, the uh, the board of supervisors has had a, a changeover over the past two election cycles. It's gone from five Republicans, uh, even though they're nonpartisan races, but five Republicans, all of whom were part of establishing this program, to now uh, you know majority three uh, Democrats, all pretty you know left of center. Um, Politically, and it was that changeover that is why this had ended. If 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 that board composition had been in effect five years ago, I, I think this problem program would have been um, eliminated five years ago. But it wasn't until uh, this last election, where uh, supervisors uh, Tara Lawson, Rima, and Norma Vargas were uh, elected, giving the board that three um, vote majority with Chairman Nathan Fletcher, that this uh, that the program was imperiled. I think what it says is, you know, uh, I, people who didn't like this, certainly the ACLU people I talked to, you know, will say, well, it shows elections matter, you know. Um, but f- in terms of going forward, I think it, it, it it's kind of an indicator, I think, of how this new board, as long as they're in power, are going to approach this element of county government, governance. There is, you know, a different approach to helping people to, um, accessing public benefits to making public benefits available and you're seeing that not only with this elimination of this program but I think in the county budget that came out last week you know that the draft budget you know there's a whole lot of more money in there directed at um, those parts of the county and those uh, people in the county who in the past didn't get a whole lot of attention from uh, county lawmakers and I think that this is to, to me, this was interesting to see this eliminated so soon after the new board majority came on as kind of symbolic that, that this is a, a different moment, a different era perhaps, in how this county is going to approach uh, social services and availability and accessibility to people who need a hand up.
0: You can find these stories online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thanks for listening.